as we journey through this Lenten season, join Bishop and Kyle in praying the Anima Christi. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Soul of Christ, be my sanctification. Body of Christ, be my salvation. Blood of Christ, fill all my veins. Water of Christ's side, wash out my stains. Passion of Christ, my comfort be. O good Jesus, listen to me. In thy wounds I fain would hide ne'er to be parted from thy side. Guard me, should the foe assail me. Call me when my life shall fail me. Bid me come to thee above, with thy saints to sing thy love, world without end. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Bishop continues breaking down the Old Testament readings from the Easter Vigil Mass. This week, he starts with the third reading, which is from the book of Exodus and tells the story of Moses parting the sea. Then two readings from the book of Isaiah. Hear how these stories relate to us today and especially at the Easter Vigil. Then Bishop answers questions from listeners on topics including the church's rules regarding a Catholic marrying a non-Catholic and whether or not he has a favorite homily. If you have a question for Bishop to answer, submit it at RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman here with our good Bishop who has been breaking down some of these readings that are part of the Easter Vigil. And like you mentioned last week, our priests don't necessarily have enough time in one homily to really give adequate exploration to all of these readings. So I appreciate you kind of diving into them so we can be prepared as we enter into this Lent. Uh, so far, you've covered the first two readings, which were creation and Abraham sacrificing his son, Isaac, which he didn't actually sacrifice, but was kind of setting up for that. Uh, today thought maybe we could see how much we get to, but start with the third reading, which is, comes from Exodus. That sounds good, Kyle. You know, this uh, is uh, another uh, great, uh, great reading at the Easter Vigil. It's one of the great wonders of God, the crossing of the, of the Red Sea. So, and I'll talk a little bit about how that connects to, to our Christian faith, because that's why did the church decide on these seven readings? And, you know, we've already done the creation story. I've tried to show how important that is in our faith. And then this, the sacrifice of Isaac or the binding of Isaac and how that foreshadows Christ's passion. And, and now we'll be able to see uh, this reading from Exodus and uh, how that relates to our Christian faith. All right. Would you like me to read it? Yeah. A reading from the book of Exodus. The Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to go forward. And you lift up your staff and with the hand outstretched over the sea, split the sea in two, that the Israelites may pass through it on dry land. But I will make the Egyptians so obstinate that they will go in after them. Then I will receive glory through Pharaoh and all his army, his chariots and charioteers. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. When I receive glory through Pharaoh, and his chariots and charioteers. 
The angel of God, who had been leading Israel's camp, now moved and went around behind them. The column of cloud also, leaving the front, took up its place behind them, so that it came between the camp of the Egyptians and that of Israel. But the cloud now became dark, and thus the night passed, without the rival camps coming any closer together all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord swept the sea with a strong east wind throughout the night, and so turned it to dry land. When the water was thus divided, the Israelites marched into the midst of the sea on dry land, with the water like a wall to their right and to their left. The Egyptians followed in pursuit. All Pharaoh's horses and chariots and charioteers went after them, right into the midst of the sea. In the night watch, just before dawn, the Lord cast through the column of the fiery cloud upon the Egyptian force a glance that threw it into a panic, and he so clogged their chariot wheels that they could hardly drive. With that, the Egyptians sounded the retreat before Israel, because the Lord was fighting for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord told Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may flow back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and their charioteers. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at dawn the sea flowed back to its normal depth. The Egyptians were fleeing head-on toward the sea when the Lord hurled them into its midst. As the water flowed back, it covered the chariots and the charioteers of Pharaoh's whole army, which had followed the Israelites into the sea. Not a single one of them escaped, but the Israelites had marched on dry land through the midst of the sea, with the water like a wall to their right and to their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel on that day from the power of the Egyptians. When Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the seashore, and beheld the great power that the Lord had shown against the Egyptians. They feared the Lord and believed in him and his servant Moses. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he is gloriously triumphant. Horse and chariot he is cast into the sea. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Every time I hear that, I think of um, Cecil... What's his name? The Ten Commandments. The Mills uh, movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah Charlton uh, Heston. Charlton Heston. Yeah, it's really um, this great manifestation of God's power mm -hmm. and and His might and His love for the people, His His chosen people. The crossing of the Red Sea. We look at that translation. If you look at the Hebrew, it's actually the Sea of Reeds. Most scholars say it's, it was a freshwater body, not the saltwater body that we know today as the Red Sea. So huh. the Sea of Reeds was probably a different place. But that's, that's neither here nor there. The real important thing is what is this uh, uh, event manifest? You know, I often think about how this echoes the book of Genesis, the blowing of the wind or the spirit over the waters of the sea that you just read. It really reminds us of the spirit of God over the waters mm -hmm. at the at creation. And then the splitting of the seas. See, we think of in Genesis the division of the waters on the second day. The dry ground on which the Israelites walked 
reminds us of the creation of the dry land on the third day. So you can kind of see it as like a recreation, kind of like the flood was, and the people emerge uh, from these waters victorious. Everyone's familiar with this uh, story. Um, we can understand you know, how important this is. And for Jewish people, the Israelites would always look back to that event whenever they need, needed to strengthen their hope of, of God's help at times of danger or misfortune. They would remember. They would remember this. It gave them hope. God delivered his people. So this, this, this hope that was inspired. And notice when we reflect on the account, uh, the role of God, the role of man, the forces of nature. We have God directing this. We have Moses doing as the Lord commands. Moses is God's vicar, we could say. Then the people, they, they don't really play an active part. They benefit what, from what's happening. You mm -hmm. know, They just had to walk through. But then the forces of nature, the pillar of cloud that, remember, would mark their route by day. Now it blocks the Egyptians. Then the night, you know, night time, the symbol of evil has become the time of God's visitation. You know, hmm. the waters of the sea, which were so often a symbol of the abyss and of evil, now allow the victorious passage of of god's people so christian writers from from the beginning the fathers of the church have reflected also on this miraculous crossing of of the red sea or the sea of reeds it's really important to see because this is why this is a reading on at the easter vigil Think back how even saint paul even before the fathers of the church uh, in his first letter to the corinthians chapter 10 verses 1 and 2 this is what he wrote i want you to know brethren that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same supernatural food and all drank the same supernatural drink. Hmm. St. Paul and then the fathers of the church, they saw this as a type of baptism. Right. You know, this foreshadowing of baptism, you know, passing through the water under the power of God's spirit, you know, the Ruah, the spirit, this transition from slavery to sin to the freedom of the children of God. Mm -hmm. Okay, so so that's what baptism does. These are preeminent types of the mystery of baptism. You know, even back in the fourth century, when you read some of the fathers of the church, especially at Easter, you know, with the sacraments of initiation and their, you know, their we have texts of their homilies to catechumens uh -huh. um, where you can read how they make these connections. There is one text I thought I would read because um, I knew we were going to talk about this today. St. Cyril of Jerusalem in the fourth century, he had some powerful words to the newly baptized that he preached. So I'd like to just, this is one of five catechetical, part of one of five of his catechetical lectures, which are really wonderful to read. And this is what he, uh, what he wrote. St. Cyril of Jerusalem. For when Pharaoh, that most bitter and cruel tyrant, 
was oppressing the free and high-born people of the Hebrews. God sent Moses to bring them out of the evil bondage of the Egyptians. Now, turn from the old to the new, from the figure, the type, to the reality. There we have Moses sent from God to Egypt. Here, Christ sent forth from his father into the world. There, that Moses might lead forth an afflicted people out of Egypt. Here, that Christ might rescue those who are oppressed in the world under sin. There, the tyrant was pursuing that ancient people even to the sea. And here, the daring and shameless spirit, the author of evil, was following thee even to the very streams of salvation. The tyrant of old was drowned in the sea, and this present one disappears in the water of salvation. Now, there are a lot of other passages of the Church Fathers, I, I just picked that one up, which shows this understanding of Christian baptism in relation to the exodus from Egypt. So it's very clear why we would have this at the Easter Vigil, this right. reading, because we're going to be celebrating, you know, at the Easter Vigil, baptism of adults. These writings of ancient Christianity and the early church fathers, they write about the sacraments communicating the saving power of Christ's passion, death, and resurrection. And in a certain way, making present the wonders of the Old Testament. So this wondrous event of the crossing of the Red Sea, we see really made present in the sacrament of Christian baptism. We can talk about others like the manna in the desert as mm -hmm. a type of the Eucharist. Right. You know, but that's not, that'll be a whole nother thing. But it really is a beautiful passage. And it's interesting at the end of that reading, it says that the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. Mm -hmm. I will sing to the Lord for he is gloriously triumphant. Horse and chariot he has cast into the sea. I love this part of the Easter Vigil. After that's read, we have the responsorial psalm. There's a responsorial psalm after each of the seven readings. Right. And right after that's, uh, that reading from Exodus, the psalm is really not one of the psalms. It's this song of the Israelites uh -huh. that we read in Exodus chapter 15. And the response is, let us sing to the Lord. He has covered himself in glory. So it's, it's the song of the Israelites after, you know, going through and being saved, going through the sea. I will sing to the Lord for he is gloriously triumphant. Horse and chariot he has cast into the sea. My strength and my courage is the Lord and he has been my savior. He is my God. I praise him. The God of my fathers. I extol him. The Lord is a warrior. Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and army he hurled into the sea. The elite of his officers were submerged in the Red Sea. So I'm not going to read the whole yeah. thing. But, but I find that always really beautiful during the Easter Vigil, or powerful, I should say, uh -huh. that after we hear that, that we join in singing the same song that the Israelites sang after being rescued. Right. Are there some similarities between this and the story of Noah and the flood? Yeah, I would have to look into that, but I think we do also, I mean, when you read the Fathers of the Church, that's another type from the Old Testament uh -huh. of the sacrament of baptism. 
the destruction of sin by water, right. you know, the sinful world, which was destroyed by the deluge of the flood. And then in the end, though, there's that whole promise of salvation. There's the uh, a recreation takes right. place. Right. Yeah. Okay. Which is what happens in baptism. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, if you have some questions for Bishop, you can ask them by going to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop. Call or text the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598. And coming up, we'll have some of your questions, including some questions about marrying a non-Catholic, young Catholics leaving the faith, and more on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman, asking the questions that you've submitted for Bishop to respond to. Our first question, can you explain the church's rules regarding a Catholic marrying a non-Catholic? Can they marry in a Catholic church? Would special permission be required? Yes. Um, first of all, I think it's really important to, to make a distinction between a Catholic marrying a baptized non-Catholic, in other words, a Catholic marrying a Christian uh-huh. who's not Catholic, and a Catholic marrying a non-baptized person. Okay. There's a huge difference because when a Catholic marries a non-Catholic Christian, it's a sacrament. Okay. You need two baptized people for marriage to be a sacrament. Mm-hmm. If a Catholic marries an unbaptized person, it is not the sacrament. It's a valid marriage, Uh but it's not a sacrament. Okay. So, you need special permission for both. A Catholic needs permission to marry a non-Catholic Christian, but you need more than just permission to marry an unbaptized person. Okay. Because marrying an unbaptized person is an impediment to marriage, Hmm. what the church calls an impediment. The impediment, technically in canon law, is called disparity of cult, Hmm. cult meaning worship. So if one married an unbaptized person without a dispensation from that impediment, it would not be a, a valid marriage. Okay. Okay, because you need a dispensation from disparity of cult in order to marry an unbaptized person. Now, I know of situations where a a Catholic has married a non baptized person properly. They've gotten a dispensation from disparity of cult. Now, there's certain things in order to get that dispensation that the Catholic must do. The Catholic must testify that they intend to continue living in their Catholic faith, that mm-hmm. they intend to raise the children Catholic, all of that. Mm-hmm. But I, I know of, of marriages like that, that you know maybe some years later, the unbaptized person gets baptized. Uh-huh. Well, at that moment their marriage becomes sacramental. They don't have to do anything special. Mm -mm. At that moment, when the unbaptized spouse is baptized, 
their marriage, which was valid, becomes a sacrament. So, yeah. Who grants the dispensation? The bishop. Okay. Now, in, in this case, um, also the vicar general. So, these cases, I have the, the vicar general, Father Gertner, handle these cases. So, he has the uh, authority from me to grant dispensations for disparity of cult. Okay. And if somebody would get married without the dispensation, would that be considered a sin? Yeah, because they would then not be able to, uh, after they got married, you know, without the dispensation, they would not be able to receive Holy Communion. Okay. Yeah. So maybe if somebody's in that situation, talk to your priest. Oh, yeah. See how yeah, we can yeah. get that fixed. Okay, great. Another listener asked, it's disheartening to hear about so many younger Catholics leaving the faith. Does the diocese have any ministries that reach out to them? Yeah, you know, it's... Um, I would say, uh, you know, we have a pr very good young adult ministry. Mm -hmm. um, Sean Allen's the head of that. And we have various programs for young adults. But I'd also add that a lot of this needs to happen at the parish level. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes people say there's a diocese. Well, the diocese includes, you know, the parishes that therefore sometimes you can't do everything on the higher level we do have some diocesan events as i said we have this office for for young adult ministry but mm -hmm. they primarily are to help parishes to reach out uh, okay. especially to young catholics who've left the faith and it's really a priority of mine mm -hmm. that we minister actually minister so that they don't leave the faith yeah you know but then not to just forget those who've left we should always be evangelizing or re-evangelizing right and um in our last episode i talked about faith and science you know and uh we got, got a lot into the, the human origins well one of the reasons that um, some young adults leave the faith or even teenagers is because they see a conflict between faith and science that's mm -hmm. why this is an area of great interests of mine. I see it as part of evangelization. And I think we have to do a much better job addressing the reasons that young people, some young people leave the practice of the faith. Mm -hmm. You know, when I run into young people like this, I always want to know the reasons. There might be some who just, it, it's just um, laziness. It's mm -hmm. not, you know, but for others, there's, you know, it could be the conflict between faith and reason. It could be, that they've just come not to believe. Others might be because of the church's teachings and maybe sexuality or church's teaching about marriage. Some it's because of the, the terrible scandal of sexual abuse of minors by clergy. So whatever the reason is, when I meet a young person who's left the faith, I really do want to enter a dialogue and find out what the reasons are and help them and, and to address whatever that reason is. Mm -hmm. And I get the emails from the young adult ministry in the diocese, and there's all kinds of things going on. The Theology on Tap, the Alpha programs, the retreats, and like just some social meetups. And I, the email just kind of keeps going on. Like, wow, <laughs> this is all kinds of different stuff going on. So yeah. definitely encourage people to, to check out what is being offered by the diocese and maybe, you know, suggest here and there like, hey, you should check this out. Or yeah, and you know, some people. parishes have, uh, have really 
you know, some vibrant young adult ministry right. going on. Yeah. And some don't have anything going mm-hmm. on. So you kind of have to look around too. You know, especially if, if the diocese is aware or Sean or, or our office, we can plug them into parishes that have really good young adult ministry. Sure. All right. Someone else asked, do you have a favorite homily that you've ever given? Wow. That's hard to answer. I'd have to really think about it. I, I, I think for ex- I, I probably would say there are certain masses where I really put a lot of thought and prayer into the homily preparation. I I can't name one. Uh, I would say, though, if in general, probably my ordination homilies and my chrism mass homilies mm-hmm. stand out. Maybe like there's certain things like the Evangelium Vitae mass at masses at Notre Dame. I mean, there, those would be some that, that come to mind, but I'd really have to think hard about like, what's my favorite. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'd let people judge that. What's their, I'm more interested in what's their favorite. <laughs> if somebody, if you're given to give a talk and you could do it on any topic, is there one that you would lean towards when something that you enjoy talking about? Probably the Trinitarian love of God. Oh, Okay. But you see, I have to always be careful because... I feel like now we need an episode of, of yeah, the show on that. I, I, I would say uh, the temptation for me is to become maybe too theological, uh, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, because that's kind of like my natural bent. Uh-huh. Uh, and it's interesting, sometimes, like, I remember recently I gave a homily that I thought, oh my goodness, this is maybe not concrete enough. It's probably too theological. And I got a lot of people afterwards came up and said, Bishop, I really like that homily. So, so I'm kind of <laughs> torn sometimes, like how many people in the congregation really like delving uh, so deeply into things or how many want something that's, you know, more practical and concrete. Sure. Probably the best homilies are those where you can do both. Right. You know, right. and that's, that's challenging for the homilist. Yeah. So, yeah, that'd be a whole, it'd be interesting, you know, people have different preferences for the kind of homilies that they like. I do think that there has to, there should be a practical element, definitely. Uh I mean, part of the purpose is is to help people to live the Christian life in their particular circumstances. So, we shouldn't be too theoretical. Uh, We have to somehow be able to deal with profound and deep mysteries of our faith but also bring that to present everyday reality. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, if you have questions for Bishop, you can go to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop, where you can also find past episodes. You can text us on the Holy Cross College text line 260-436-9598. And Bishop, if you're up to it, maybe we could tackle another one of those readings from the Easter Vigil. Sure. All right. That'll be coming up right here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman here with our bishop, and we're going to continue our Lenten series as we prepare for Easter and take a look at some of the readings of the Easter Vigil. So far, let's see if I can do this from memory. We've done creation. We did Abraham and Isaac, and then we did Moses and the Red Sea, the parting of the sea. And then the next two readings, both, so this is two out of seven, come from Isaiah. Yeah, isn't it interesting? We, so we had um, three readings from 
the Pentateuch, you know, two from Genesis, one from Book of Exodus. Now we move into the prophets. And when you think about the four major prophets and then the 12 minor prophets, we had the series here right. on the, the four major prophets. I think it's interesting that two of the seven readings are from the same prophet. Uh-huh. Uh, but you'll find when we read these, uh, these two passages from the, the second half of Isaiah, you know, I, I should, we did that, um, that uh, several months ago. When I I gave, uh, I forget if it was one or two shows on the prophet Isaiah, Mm -hmm. I explained how there's three parts to the uh, book of the prophet Isaiah. Do you remember the the second part, Kyle, what we call that? (laughs) No, I don't. Second Isaiah, Deutero Isaiah. Okay. Yeah, Yeah. and that was um, at the time of the exile in Babylon. So, these two readings are both from second Isaiah, from Deutero Isaiah. Okay. And the reason... They're read at the Easter Vigil is because of the sacramental implications of these passages. So, the fourth reading of the Easter Vigil is from chapter 54 of the book of Isaiah. So, Kyle, why don't you read that? Sure. A reading from the book of the prophet Isaiah. The one who has become your husband is your maker. His name is the Lord of hosts. Your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel, called God of all the earth. The Lord calls you back, like a wife forsaken and grieved in spirit, a wife married in youth, and then cast off, says your God. For a brief moment I abandoned you, but with great tenderness I will take you back. In an outburst of wrath, for a moment I hid my face from you, but with enduring love I take pity on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. This is for me like the days of Noah, when I swore that the waters of Noah should never again deluge the earth. So I have sworn not to be angry with you or to rebuke you. Though the mountains leave their place and the hills be shaken, my love shall never leave you, nor my covenant of peace be shaken, says the Lord, who has mercy on you. O afflicted one, storm-battered and unconsoled, I lay your pavements in carnelanes, and your foundations in sapphires. I will make your battlements of rubies, your gates of carbuncles, and all your walls of precious stones. All your children shall be taught by the Lord, and great shall be the peace of your children. In justice shall you be established, far from the fear of oppression, where destruction cannot come near you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What'd you say about carbuncles? Uh, uh, carbuncles and carnelians. And these, uh, uh, these, these aren't... Uh, I, I need a whole bucket of those at home. <laughs> I think we should have a dictionary here, shouldn't we? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love when there's like words like that in readings. You know, like I'm one of those people who like, I, I, I can't not look it up. You know, like yeah. I need to know what a carnelian well, is good. and what a carbuncle is. But... Um, this is, uh, again, an interesting reading. It's, it's from, you know, near the end of the second Isaiah. So, if you remember when we talked about Deutero-Isaiah, that part two of the prophet, of the whole book of the prophet Isaiah, it's the book of the consolation of hmm. Israel. That whole beautiful promise of deliverance. Again, the people are in exile. So, so we have now in chapter 54, what you just read, this, this beautiful hymn 
celebrating the glory and the restoration of Jerusalem. So it's really an oracle of consolation and hope because they've just been humiliated. They've been humiliated for years. They're in exile. And it's really interesting to see that the traditional Old Testament imagery is used here. The barren wife, the barren wife who becomes fruitful again. The unfaithful and repudiated wife who is taken back. The Lord of hosts will be her maker and her husband. You know, he had forsaken her for a short while, but now he'll make a new covenant with her, a covenant sealed with love. He'll rebuild the walls of Jerusalem with precious stones. Peace will prevail. You know, you see God's tenderness here towards his people, towards his city. We have this resumption of the joyful marriage between the Lord and his people. This, it's, it's resumed. There's a restoration of a covenant of peace. That's, the, that's why you read in that what you just said, my love shall never leave you, nor my covenant of peace be shaken. Like in the time of, of uh, Noah, the rebuilding of, of the city. So it has a lot of good um, messages there. It's definitely a message of consolation. And now we say, okay, why at the Easter Vigil? How do Christians see this, um, this hymn, this poem, whatever we want to call it from Isaiah? Well, basically, we have the church is the continuation, really the culmination of God's people. This whole idea, uh, this cry, sing, O barren one, refers to us. Our church was barren until children were born to it. And children are born to it through baptism. Um, It's the death and resurrection of Jesus that's the fulfillment of God's promise this covenant of peace. There will be this new and definitive covenant in which Christ, the bridegroom, unites himself permanently to his church, his bride, his beloved spouse, for whom he sacrifices himself. It's especially appropriate, I think, uh, as a reading for the Easter Vigil. You know, with enduring love, the Lord our Redeemer takes pity on us and promises that his love will never will never leave us. It's interesting, too, when you read about that, uh, just the city itself, and you read about the pavements in carnelians, the foundations in sapphires, all of that can kind of remind us of, of the book of Revelation, which, which uh, describes the heavenly Jerusalem, you know, that, that vision of the heavenly Jerusalem. That'd be another thing is to compare this and and other things with, with what we read in the, in the book of Revelation about the new heavens and the new earth and the new city, the new Jerusalem. All right. Well, we have a little bit of time. I'll give you a choice. Should we take a break and come back with Isaiah 55, or would you like to do some listener-submitted questions? We've got both on deck. Let me think about it during the break. All right. Well, stick around and you'll find out. We've got more coming up right here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. 
What's the difference between Notre Dame Federal Credit Union and a bank? Well, banks are owned by investors looking to make a profit. Notre Dame FCU is different. We are a not-for-profit member-owned cooperative. Our mission is to help our members improve their lives by providing products and services to save them money. If we end up with too much money ourselves, we simply give it away to our members' favorite charities. Last year, over a million dollars. You already share our values. Why not share in our benefits? Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman. And now the moment you've all been waiting for, what are we going to talk about this last segment? I Uh, thought, why don't we do the other Isaiah? We're on a roll with Isaiah. Okay. Let's do the fifth reading. All right. It'll be good to hear them side by side if there's anything to uh, point out, compare and contrast, if you will. Right. All right. Would you like me to read this again? Yeah, you do such a good job (laughs) lecturing. Do you lecture at church? I have to watch out for the carbuncles. Well... (laughs) I, right now we're in kid wrangling is my ministry. Oh, so I, okay. Yeah. It's hard having, to leave Having an kids. extra adult in the pew is, is kind of yeah, a priority. You, it wouldn't be good for your wife if you weren't in the pew with her, with the kids. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right. You could bring one of the kids up with you to the, to the Ambo. I have seen that done before. Yeah. I th- that was actually kind of nice. <laughs> a little family reading. All right. A reading from the book of the prophet Isaiah. Thus says the Lord, all you who are thirsty, come to the water. You who have no money, come, receive grain and eat. Come without pain and without cost. Drink wine and milk. Why spend your money for what is not bread, your wages for what fails to satisfy? Heed me and you shall eat well. You shall delight in rich fare. Come to me heedfully. Listen that you may have life. I will renew with you the everlasting covenant, the benefits assured to David. As I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander of nations, so shall you summon a nation you knew not, and nations that knew you not shall run to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, who has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call him while he is near. Let the scoundrel forsake his way and the wicked man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord for mercy, to our God, who is generous and forgiving. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so high are my ways above your ways and my thoughts above your thoughts. For just as from the heavens the rain and snow come down and do not return there, till they have watered the earth, making it fertile and fruitful, giving seed to the one who sows and bread to the one who eats. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. My word shall not return to me void, but shall do my will, achieving the end for which I sent it. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, That's such a beautiful reading. Isaiah 55. It's really an invitation to the covenant banquet. Uh, This is the end of the second part of the book of Isaiah, the book of Consolation. This invitation to the covenant banquet, um, it really is beautiful. Keep in mind, the uh, originally this was a call to those who were exiled in Babylon to return to Jerusalem. Okay. But it's really a call that's made at all times. This reference to an 
everlasting covenant. I will renew with you the everlasting covenant, the benefits assured to David. This is an invitation that we read it as an invitation to share in the new and eternal covenant, the covenant that was sealed with the blood of our Lord. So I, I really um, think it's so appropriate at the uh, Easter vigil because catechumens are preparing to receive the Eucharist for the very first time. Mm-hmm. And it's in the Eucharist, the banquet of the covenant, um, the new covenant in Christ's blood, that these words come true completely. Come, receive grain and eat. Well, think about it. The Eucharist, the, the true bread of life, the finest food, money cannot buy. That's why it says, come, you who have no money, come without paying and without cost. Receive grain and eat, drink wine and milk. Okay, this is an invitation of the prophet Isaiah that we as Christians see as extended to partaking in the Holy Eucharist. This is the pinnacle of the covenant of love between God and his people. And of course, it's a preparation for the eternal banquet mm-hmm. in heaven because the Eucharist is a foretaste of the, the eternal banquet in heaven. At the Easter Vigil, we're celebrating Christ's victory over sin and death. And this reading, we're we're invited to partake of the banquet of the covenant that was sealed by Christ's death and resurrection. You know, the Israelites are called to conversion in order to return to their homeland from Babylon. They have to turn to God, return to God. They must seek him. And the Lord allows himself to, to be found and grants forgiveness. You know, this kind of reminds me of uh, St. Augustine about uh, conversion. Uh, he wrote, do not say tomorrow I will be converted. Tomorrow I will give thanks to God and all my sins, today's and yesterday's will be forgiven. Augustine says, it's true that God promises forgiveness for your conversion, but he does not promise tomorrow for your delays. So that's why you have this uh, this kind of urgency in this reading from Isaiah. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Come to me heedfully. Uh, you know, so it's it's now. It's it's uh, called conversion now. I want to mention also the towards the end of that reading where it talks about the word of God going forth from his mouth he compares it to how the rain and snow come down and don't return there until they've watered the earth mm-hmm. and he says that's how his word is it goes forth it should shall not return to him void but shall do his will achieving the end for which he sent it this is how powerful the word of god is it it delivers the salvation that it promises this is also a prefiguring of christ he is the eternal word of the father who's come down from heaven to save mankind and doesn't return to god empty and barren you know his word nourishes the world it, it everything flourishes when his love when his word is fulfilled when it's put into practice otherwise it remains barren um so yeah this is a really uh important appropriate reading for the easter vigil especially for all of us but i'd say especially for those who are going to receive the eucharist for the very first time yeah and 
I think that image too of the water, the the rain, the snow doesn't return until it's done its job of, of fertilizing and, and helping growth in the same way God's word comes down here and we might ignore it for a long time, but it's not going back until it does its job. And yep. that yeah. idea of being open to that and how is God's word trying to nourish us and yep. his people, the church at large, everybody, the humanity, the world. Yeah. And, and letting that word sink in and, uh, letting that word which is is really a saving word um hmm. and and us obeying it doing the lord's will that's how it bears fruit yeah. yeah all right well thank you bishop for another great episode of truth and charity and for sharing some of your wisdom with us answering some of our questions encourage people if they have questions go check out the website RedeemerRadio.com slash Ask Bishop. We've got all the past episodes up there as well that you can listen to if there's any that you missed or things that you want to share with other people as well. And Bishop, could we get your Episcopal blessing before we go? Sure. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now and forever. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Who made heaven and earth. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Bishop. You're welcome, Kyle. Go to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop to check out previous episodes. Then share a favorite with a friend. Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union.